This is Dave Lawton, and uh, really glad to have you with us. This is part of our summer series where we reach back into the vaults and run a series of recordings that we have had in Praxis. Last year we did Floyd McClung and did a series of his recordings as he came out and really helped us on the journey of movements. This January we're running a series from 2016 with David Watson when he first visited us in Australia and these are snippets or recordings from his training that we trust that you will uh, find really helpful. In this first recording, uh, David really introduces us to the role of the difference between a player and a coach. And uh, he, he talks about the paradigm shifts that are necessary for us to see movement take place. And though uh, being part of the church and being part of the traditional church uh, is essential, in fact he says every church is essential and we would agree with that, uh, how we can start second tracks and jump into the harvest and see movement take place. I trust you enjoy this first of six uh, podcasts with David Watson as as we lean back into his training that's uh, set us on a path really of focusing on movement both here in Australia and the nations. Enjoy. David Watson. So please uh, understand, I'm going to challenge a lot of your, a lot of your favorite beliefs and really, I hope it's the Bible that challenges them, but uh, we're going to challenge, we're going to deconstruct a lot of our cultural issues, trying to say what is cultural and what is biblical. For instance, when we prayed earlier, almost everyone in the room bowed their head and closed their eyes. Why did you do that? Show me a verse, any verse in the Bible that says to close your eyes and bow your head when you pray. You're all right. Wait a minute, we always do it that way. And and that's right, we always do it that way. But the very act of bowing your head and closing your eyes may identify you as an enemy in some circles. For instance, I was trained as an evangelist in the U.S., pray over your meals at dinner. You know what happens when you pray over your meals at lunch or dinner in public? You get a 10-foot circle around you that people go around and will come anywhere near you. And males are our most social times, aren't they? It's the most social time we have. I want to engage people during meals. So now we say, I say my prayer in my head, my family, we look at each other, we pray ahead, and, and then we start engaging the people around us as we're talking to see what, what we can dredge up that day out of that restaurant or that tea shop or whatever it might be. No one understands this. No one wants your religion. Everyone who wants to be a Christian is already a Christian. Okay, you understand that, right? And everyone who's not a Christian knows about you and doesn't like it. Okay, they don't like they don't like the way you act. They don't like the way you sing. They don't like the way your services are. They don't like the way you park your car. They don't like your bumper stickers. You know, they, they don't like it. And our job is not to make them like Christianity. Our job is to get them to fall in love with Jesus. So if you're about religion, if you're faithful to your denomination or your church or your agency, 
you're probably not going to be a very good DMM practitioner because we're not about any of those things. We're about people falling in love with Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit organize them the way he wants to organize them. Now, we'll teach, we teach, when, when we have a group that comes to the place of baptism, all we do is we show them all the functions of church and say, how are you going to do the same thing we're going to deal with all week long? How are you going to accomplish what we're talking about? And, and they come up with some pretty creative things unless some busybody Baptist comes along. I say that because I'm a Baptist. A busybody Baptist comes along and uh, says, you're doing it all wrong. And that happens to right at half of all of our churches. Some outside church will come and tell them they're doing it all wrong. The average cost of one disciple in the Western Christianity is $100,000. We spend $100,000 in our churches for every baptism. Does that astound you? Yeah, we spend about eight cents in our work. From a hundred thousand down to eight cents. A church start in a mega city, a city like this that has millions of people. Average cost of a church start in a city globally is approaching one million dollars just to get it off the ground. On average, across a five-year period, looking at how we do work. We spend $4.79 per church in our ministry getting a church started. So just economically, I can show you that this really is a much better way to do things. But you're going to have to give up control. If you're a control freak, this, this methodology is going to drive you insane. And, and I was one of those guys. I mean, I'm... I'm an alpha male, and you know, I'm a type A personality, I'm a high D. You know, I, all the tests you're going to show is I'm the guy that's at the top of the pyramid, and I really like it there. <laughs> okay? And for me to climb down that pyramid and say, I'm going to let other people build pyramids, and I'm just going to be their servants, was a really hard thing for me to do. I'd started churches from scratch and taken them to over a thousand people. I've, I've been involved in, in growing mega churches and planting a lot of churches. I've done that. But in DMM work, my responsibility is to be the coach. Now, probably everyone in here plays uh, football, right? Soccer? Football? How many does it? How many you don't? Rugby? Any of you guys play rugby? Strategy. Cricket? IFL. IFL? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Yeah. But in all of those sports, if the coach steps onto the playing field, what happens? What happens if the coach steps on the field? It's a red card. You're out. They have to leave the field. Every one of you, when you leave here, you, you're a freshman coach. You got to stop being the player. If you got to be the one talking, you're not going to succeed in DMA. You got to be the one coaching people how to do it. If you're the father or the mother that when the father is teaching a boy how to build a birdhouse, he says, Here, let me do it. He builds it all up and says, Here, there's your birdhouse. 
you're not going to be able to do this. If you're the mother that says, let's go cook, I'll teach you how to cook, and the first time there's a mistake, you pull up and you, and you whip it up and say, here, stick it in the oven, and that's cooking, you're, you're not going to be able to make this work. You have to have a high tolerance for error. Because in this line of work, the best teacher is failure. The best teacher is failure. But not failure without a safety net. That's what a coach is about. Coaching is about perfecting skill sets, right? What does a coach want from his team? He wants perfection. What does he want from each player? He wants perfection. Coaching is about perfecting the skill of whatever passion you're chasing after. Your job is to watch for those failure points and coach people toward perfection as you talk to them and love them and work with them. And some of them are going to do some pretty horrible things. Some are going to do stupid things. Some of them are just lazy. You have to help motivate them. So understand that in DMM type work, this is not something that you get to get out and, and throw the ball and kick the ball. Uh, you, you're teaching other people how to throw the ball or kick the ball and catch the ball and get across the goal line, how to block, how to tackle. You're doing all of those things. You're teaching them, you're coaching them until they perfect it. And if you have to be in the game, if you have to be on the playing field, you're not going to see a disciple-making movement start. It's not going to be not going to happen. Uh, the other thing that I want you to understand is I'm not here to teach you how to make disciples. I'm here to teach you how to start a movement of making disciples. I'm not here to teach you how to plant a church. I'm here to teach you how to see a church planting movement established. And the skill sets and the behaviors of the person who is at the front end or the front edge of a disciple-making movement is very different from the person who's doing the work inside the movement. So you're going to hear me make statements like, look, if I catch you doing personal evangelism, you're fired. What? I should be a personal? I mean, you've been driven. You're supposed to... No, your job is to coach a hundred personal evangelists, disciple makers. And instead of you winning one or two people a year, you're going to see two or three thousand a year coming to Christ. That's the difference of what we want to show you. Is that if you become a coach, you're going to get across that goal line more often because you're not doing it by yourself. It's like walking onto a basketball court and you're the only player against five. You'll never make a goal, and you'll never block it. I mean, Michael Jordan could play against a high school team and win if he were the only person. It takes a team. As talented as Michael Jordan is, and the fact that if he gets the ball, he can hit, hit the basket from midcourt, you just keep the ball away from him. And that's what I'd tell my guys. If I, was, if I was playing Michael Jordan, I'd say, look, don't let him get his hand on the ball. Where he is, throw it somewhere else, even if it's out of bounds. <laughs> and I said, all you got to do is link arms, and so he has to charge you to get to the 
basket and he didn't even get the ball back. I mean, it's easy when you're five on one to win. And many of you in this room have been playing one on a million type of game. You're one saying, I want to win this city or this people or this nation or this group. And, and you're one against a million and you're wondering why you're not succeeding. Because there's only one of you or two of you. This is about how do you develop and grow a team. The conference that comes after this one is about how you build that leadership team. We're not going to get there today because you've got a lot of work to do just to get it rolling. And we're going to talk about the work you have to do to get it rolling. And toward the end, if we have time, I'll show you the bigger picture so you can see where the piece that you're learning this week will fit into other things later on. But we're trying to get you the basic Lego block this week. You know, what you, you know, Lego blocks are pretty much all the same. Well, we're going to get you that first Lego block, and then you're going to be able to reproduce it, and you're going to be able to build, and then you're going to hit a place where you can't build anymore with Lego blocks. And then we have to teach you the next stage of how to develop and keep growing because you've outgrown what you've learned already. And that will happen. So some of you, that's going to happen. Now, some of you are going to be quite happy with seeing 10 or 15 churches a year starting. That's probably a 1,500 to 15,000% increase in what you've been doing. But I'm telling you, if you do this and you stay faithful to it, in, in four years to six years, you're going to see two to 3,000 churches. And you say, how can you make that claim? Because I've seen it over and over and over again. And, and that's just the reality of, of movement. If you think in terms of coaching a movement rather than leading everything, Coaches lead, but they lead by training and equipping and correcting and you know, focusing and perfecting. Those are what coaches do. So really, this, is, this, this meeting is about, is about coaching. Okay. So today, we're going to talk about things you need to learn not to do. You may already be doing it, but you're going to have to unlearn and say, this is not what I do. And... and some of you were here yesterday I was preaching I don't do that that's the first time I've preached in five years first time in five years I've done that and the last time I got hijacked in South Africa I'm not saying change your churches if you're a pastor I'm not, as a matter of fact that would be a dumb thing to do you would lose people if you do that what I'm saying is out of what you learn here you start a second track and you, you keep your first track, keep it going, love it, care for it, feed it. It's resource-oriented, it's program-oriented. Let it go and start a second track. And as it becomes successful, people from the first track will move over. But not very many of them. Because people love tradition. They love what they do. They love how they do it. And, and that's quite okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to become anywhere close to an evangelist or prophet or, or apostolic leader, uh, you you have to get out, you have to get off that church track. That that's and we understand the first three get the first three leadership roles in, in Ephesians, uh, apostle, prophet, and evangelist are outside the church. What's inside the church? The next two, pastor and teacher, they're inside the church. 
Now, as we establish churches, we have to establish this pastor-teacher for every church. So we have to be able to train those people and work with those people. So understand, you, some people interpret what we're talking about as anti-church. It's not anti-church. I'm just talking about stuff that's outside the church during this conference. Okay? So don't hear it as being anti-church. Is that church is on the other side of the street, and we're talking about this side of the street this week. Okay? So even though we're sitting in a wonderful facility, and, and this is one of the great things about churches, we get facilities. And the things I'm saying, though, are not about a facility like this with all the infrastructure and the leadership and the wonderful worship and things that are going on here. This is absolutely essential. Churches like this are essential. As a matter of fact, every church is essential. And, and if, you, if you disrespect church, you're disrespecting the bride of Christ. And Christ is not going to honor what so don't, don't interpret what I'm saying as being anti-church. It says this is not about church. This week is not about church. It's about how to start movements. And we're giving the first seven steps to do that. That's all we're going to cover. The first seven steps. You look at the book, Contagious Disciple Making is only the first seven steps to getting a movement going. And I'm writing this, the next, next one now, which will be another uh, I think it's nine steps, and the last one will be eight steps. And that's movement leadership. Uh, Contagious Leadership, the book that's coming out, is about how, as you start growing and you get over 15, 20 churches, how do you develop the leaders to, to lead groups of 10, 20, 100, 300 churches while you continue to the front line and continue pushing it out further and further. So we, we've got a lot to learn. So just kind of just come back around and say, the biggest thing I want you to take out of this time is, is one, write your questions down. Don't, don't let them get away from you. They're important. Every question you have is important. And if it gets answered during the training, tick it off. If it doesn't get answered by the end of the week, you're going to have my email address. You're going to have my cell phone number. You're going to have my home phone number. You're going to have my address. And if you're really angry, you fly all the way to Dallas and come see me. And we'll sit down and we'll pray over it and we'll work through it. I want you to just be really open and thinking about what you need to give up. There's going to be things you have to stop doing in order to see them. You're going to have to stop doing it. And, and we're going to talk about some of those things and study about some of those things today and tomorrow. And then we're going to talk about what you need to start doing. 